It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 787 for the 8th of April, 2022. This week, it's a good thing that automobiles aren't sold like computers. Imagine bringing your new car home only to find that you'll need several aftermarket items just to make it work right. In short circuits, Microsoft 365 is what Microsoft wants you to use for word processing, number crunching, database operations, presentations, and email. It's the right choice for most people, but there are options when it's not. Being lazy is not a character fault. Laziness may help you find a better way to perform a repetitive task. And yes, I do have a real-world example. And 20 years ago, the Federal Communications Commission had just proposed a schedule to convert television broadcasts from analog to digital. It was a seven-year process. If automobiles were sold like computers, you'd bring your new car home and discover that important parts were missing or outdated. Some of the things you bought with the car wouldn't work when installed, the seat covers would need to be replaced, and the spare tire would have no air. How well that correlates to buying a computer depends on the computer that's being replaced and the computer user. Last week, I described the process that my wife and I used to identify and purchase new computers. We both replaced computers in March. Our experiences differed considerably. Her old computer was five years old, and the installed applications didn't change very much over time. My computer was seven years old, and applications come and go frequently, and it has a lot of attached peripherals. I expected PC Mover to do a good job with Phyllis's computer, and it did. The only significant problem was that the new computer had no connection to the network printer. That should have been a quick, easy fix, but I spent nearly two hours trying to resolve what appears to be a fairly common problem. I was less certain that PC Mover would succeed on my computer, but $40 was worth risking if it would cut a week-long project down to just a day or two. Well, the $40 gamble didn't pay off. At first, it appeared that the transfer had succeeded, but it quickly became obvious that it had not. The first clue was the new computer's inability to write to the downloads directory on one of several attached disk drives. Copying files to the directory required that I provide administrator permission, and downloading files was simply blocked entirely. The owner of all the attached drives and all the files and folders on those drives was shown as a globally unique ID, probably linked to my username on the old computer. Fixing this problem required changing the drive owner's ID to my account on the new computer and replacing ownership and permissions recursively. This was not a quick process. The Windows 11 update failed, too, and research suggested that the cause was an incompatibility on some computers with more than a single disk drive. Before I discovered that possibility, I had worked with a Microsoft technician who seemed far more interested in finding a way to get rid of me than in finding a solution to the problem. Simultaneously, I was trying to convince a Lenovo dock to work with a Lenovo computer, as I had been assured that it would by the sales advisor. 
I have two monitors, and the computer has only a single video port. A decade ago, that might have been reasonable. Today, it's not. All but the lowest of low-end computers should have at least two HDMI ports, or two DisplayPort ports, built in. Lenovo's very expensive dock was supposed to provide two DisplayPort ports, one HDMI port, two Thunderbolt ports, three USB ports, an Ethernet port, and an audio jack. The computer already has an Ethernet port, so why would I need an extra one? And there's also an audio jack already on the computer. But it did need more USB ports. I also own a MacBook. It's at least six years old. It has two video ports built in. Why isn't this the case for most Windows computers? Well, that's a mystery for a later date. More than two days of fiddling involved downloading and installing firmware updates and the Lenovo Dock Manager. Eventually, the Dock Manager was able to recognize the dock, but none of the ports worked. I tried them all. I found a Thunderbolt to dual HDMI adapter and a device that adds 10 USB ports at Amazon. The cost of those two devices combined was about half what Lenovo had charged for its universal dock. The universal dock went back. The tasks I was attempting to avoid by using PC Mover were mostly application installations, about 85 applications and utilities, but at least I'd had the foresight to export settings from most of the applications that allow it, so configurations took a lot less time than expected. And the Patch My PC utility automatically downloaded and installed 37 utilities that I used to maintain the computer. In retrospect, I probably should have known that PC Mover would not be sufficient for my computer. And that's not to denigrate the PC Mover application because it works properly in most cases. And except for having to modify the ownership on thousands of directories and having to battle with a non-performing dock, the process actually did go faster than expected. So, as I said, the Universal Dock went back to Lenovo on the same day that the Docutech Thunderbolt 3 adapter with its two HDMI ports and a Sabrent 10-port USB 3 hub arrived. Instead of spending three days trying to make that setup work, I plugged the Docutech device in, connected the monitors, and everything worked. Elapsed time? About two minutes, including opening the box. The USB hub took a little longer because it has several parts, a power cable, a USB cable, a power supply, and the hub itself. It took about four minutes to get it unpacked, connected, and plugged in, and it worked immediately. After nearly a week of working with a single monitor, I'm relieved to have both monitors working in addition to the notebook computer's screen. Now I have enough USB ports for the many devices that are scattered around the computer, and I'm delighted that the two devices together cost less than half what the Lenovo dock did. Too much time, too much effort. But the result, eventually, was good. It isn't supposed to be this difficult. Really, it's not. And fortunately, most of the time, it really isn't this difficult to get a new computer. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation there are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. 
and so does the cat. In short circuits, Microsoft would like you to believe that its Office suite is the right choice. And for many people, it is. But maybe it's not right for you. What are the options? Is Microsoft 365 really the best choice for most people? I think it is because it includes Word, Excel, OneNote, PowerPoint, Outlook, Access, Teams, and Editor. Except for Access, the applications run on both Windows and Mac OS computers, and many of the apps run on mobile devices, too. A single $100 annual license can be used by up to six family members, and each will have one terabyte of online storage. But okay, good deal or not, you don't want Microsoft 365. So now what? Well, there are some good options, and that's what we'll take a look at now. Two open-source Office suites are at the top of my list, LibreOffice and OpenOffice. Both came from the same source, but they have diverged over the years. My preference is LibreOffice, and even though I use Microsoft 365, I keep a copy of LibreOffice up to date on the computer. The starting point for both suites is OpenOffice Org with a side trip through Sun Microsystems to Oracle. Many OpenOffice developers left and started LibreOffice. OpenOffice is now run by the Apache Software Foundation. As a result of licensing arrangements, Apache OpenOffice issues updates much less often than does LibreOffice. The more frequent updates mean bugs are more likely, but also that when bugs are found, they will be corrected faster. Both are available without charge for Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Both include applications for word processing, spreadsheets, presentations, and databases. Much of the code is identical. The interfaces are similar. LibreOffice has some features that aren't available in OpenOffice, but there are far more similarities than differences. But do you really need Office software that's installed on your computer? If you have an internet connection, Google Docs, Sheets, and Slides cover basic needs, and they save all documents to the cloud automatically. Documents are available anywhere, so you don't have to email them to yourself, use a thumb drive, or keep track of which version is where. Those who need database functions or who need some of the advanced features offered by Microsoft 365, OpenOffice, and LibreOffice do need an application that's installed locally on their computer. If that doesn't describe you, one of the online options might be adequate. Probably the most obvious choice for web-based Office suites is the one I've already mentioned from Google. But Microsoft also has a free online service. Google will try to convince you to sign up for Google Workspace for $6 to $18 per month per person. And Microsoft will try to convince you to sign up for Microsoft 365. But both do offer free options. There are a few other online Office suites that maybe you haven't heard of. Where Microsoft and Google offer the basics, Zoho has a nearly overwhelming collection of applications. The basic $3 per month plan includes Zoho Writer, Sheet, and Show. Zoho also offers, at additional cost, People, Books, Inventory, CRM, and Sites. Zoho People, for example, is a popular human resources application for small and medium businesses. 
To see all of Zoho's offerings, visit the website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Zoho has been building its suite of applications since 1996, so they must be doing something right. Apple's iCloud includes mail, contacts, calendar, photos, iCloud Drive, pages, numbers, keynote, and reminders. Pages can import and export files in Microsoft DocX format. Overall, though, the interface isn't as easy to navigate as other suites. It's free to anyone who uses an Apple notebook or desktop computer, and iCloud Plus is also available on both macOS and Windows computers, but it's not free. SoftMaker's Office is sold as both a subscription service and with a perpetual license. Monthly, it's $5, or the application may be purchased for $80. It's not an online service. The SoftMaker product would be installed on your Windows, Mac OS, or Linux computer, and it includes applications for documents, spreadsheets, and presentations. The open-source NextCloud is free to download and free to use. It includes applications for documents, spreadsheets, and presentations. In addition, NextCloud offers file management and sharing, video conferencing, and audio chat. The NextCloud App Store offers extensions that can be added to the basic set of tools. So if Microsoft 365 isn't what you want, check out some of the alternatives. Nearly everyone uses a word processor, at least occasionally. Authors and editors spend most of their time working with one. Office workers use them. Managers write memos. Schoolchildren write reports. People at home use them for keeping track of all sorts of information. But are they using the word processors correctly? Now, it may seem presumptuous to say that there is a right way and a wrong way to use a word processor, but give me a moment. Let me say this at the outset. I am lazy. You might think that's a character flaw like gluttony and sloth, but I don't see it that way. Being lazy means that I'm always looking for an easier way to accomplish a task. And here comes my real-world example. The first word processors had no formatting options, so users had to press the tab key when they wanted to indent paragraphs, then word processors became able to add character formatting, such as bold or italic. If you wanted a subhead to be in larger text and bold, you'd apply those attributes to each subhead. That was fine until you decided that you wanted a different typeface, italic instead of bold, and some extra spacing above the subhead. Then you'd have to go through the entire document and change every single subhead, even if there were hundreds of them. As I said, I'm lazy, and having to make manual changes like that make my teeth itch. There's a better way. So if you're doing any of these things when you use a word processor, stop! There's an easier option. Here are my four examples. Pressing Enter more than once to create space between paragraphs. Using the Tab key to indent paragraphs. Applying typeface attributes. And repeatedly performing any other task. Every word processor, even those with limited feature sets such as Google Docs, allows the user to define character and paragraph styles. These can be applied with just a couple of clicks. 
So, if I want all of the subheads in a document to be 14-point impact with 12 points above and 6 points below, I define that as a style and apply the style to every subhead. Easy, right? But later, I decide that impact is a bit garish for the subheads in my document. It's a long document with 237 subheads. So, do I have to revisit every subhead and apply that new style? No, I do not. Instead, I can open the style definition and change the typeface to Acumen Pro Medium and all 237 subheads are immediately updated. I keep mentioning this. I'm lazy. Styles are my friend. They'd like to be yours, too. Some applications offer more options than others. Desktop typesetting application InDesign has 20 general categories of character, paragraph, and object settings with dozens of possible selections. Entire books could be written about these settings, and being lazy, I'm not going to write that book. But if you use Microsoft Word or Google Docs, let's take a look. To modify a Google Docs style, select some text that has the style applied to it, or apply the style to some text. Then use the Format menu to select line and paragraph spacing to set line spacing, adding space before or after each paragraph, and choose other options such as adding a page break before the paragraph. Use Align and Indent to set tab settings and to choose how the paragraph is aligned. It's best not to apply bullets or numbering to a style in Google Docs because of the limited number of styles. Then use the formatting options to set the typeface, type size, bold, italic, underline characteristics, and colors. Next, use the Style pull-down menu, right-click the style you want to change, and choose the Update to Match option. The revised style will be saved automatically. Although Microsoft Word will allow users to update a style to match existing text, the overall approach is more traditional. Start by choosing some text that has the style you want to modify applied, and then click the icon to expand the Styles menu. Click the down-pointing triangle that appears at the right of the style you want to update when the mouse is hovering, or right-click the style name, then choose Modify. This opens a Modify Style dialog. You can specify a style to base this style on, and set the style that will be applied to the next paragraph when you press Enter. Choose the Typeface, Size, Attributes, Alignment, Line Spacing, and Indent. For Advanced Formatting options, click the Format button and choose Font, Paragraph, Tabs, Border, Language, Frame, Numbering, or Text Effects. You can also set a shortcut key here to quickly apply the format. And before clicking OK, decide whether you want to use your new style in just the current document or have it applied to any new documents you create that are based on this same template. And now, go forth and be lazy. Twenty years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website may not be particularly stylish, but it does look back at the process started in 2002 to convert television from analog to digital. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>